I am Chris Rex, and for the last 10 years, I have been traveling up and down the roads as an independent professional wrestler. I have had the opportunity to train, work with, and share locker rooms with some of the best who ever stepped foot inside of the squared circle. My co-host is Alex Alcazaz, a.k.a. the Bear of Texas. Born outside of Lyon, France, he moved to Texas at the age of four, and his love of sports has led him to become a sports journalist with eight years under his belt. Together, we mix my knowledge and experience as a professional wrestler with his research and raw journalism to bring you an educated and unique view of professional wrestling. This is Wrestling with a Bear. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Wrestling with a Bear. Today, we have our first guest ever on Wrestling with a Bear. We met this man down in Tampa during WrestleMania weekend. We had a brief conversation, but today we're going to interview this man about not only his wrestling career, but his life. He is the current Ring of Honor World Six-Man Tag Team Champions with Moses and Khan Shane Taylor Promotions, and he is a former Ring of Honor Television Champion, the baddest of all time, Shane Taylor. What's going on, man? Thank you. It's a hell of an introduction. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I try to put everybody over. We we met briefly in Tampa. I kind of spilt my guts to you about how your match really made me want to get back into the ring. And I just want right. to, you know, thank you again. And thank you for coming on to our show. Oh, man, it's it, it's no problem. Thank you for having me. Um, This is what we do in wrestling. You know what I mean? The, this is what we are supposed to be able to do. And that's inspired people to want to go out there and either you know, chase their dreams or, or or do the thing that they wanted to do or maybe lost faith in or lost focus in or whatever the case is. But that's that's why we're here. You know what I mean? So the fact that you felt that way, the the fact that you are now getting back into what you love doing, any small part that I had a part, you know, to play in that, you know, thank you. That means the world. Well, really honored to have you on, Shane. Really honored. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, we are, man. And hey, maybe one day uh, you could toss my ass around the rings. <laughs> I mean, maybe. You know what I'm saying? You saw what I did to my opponent, though. I don't know if you want that, but you know what I mean? It's, it's all good. You come from what some may call the ghettos of Cleveland, Ohio. Take right. us take us through a day in the life of a young Shane Taylor. It's <laughs> for, the, for, for people that aren't from there or don't know what it's like growing up in the inner city, it's hard to describe because it sounds like you're talking about movie shit. It really, it, it doesn't seem real, but this is the life that millions of people across the country live. You wake up every day, not knowing if this is going to be the day you die, not knowing if this is going to be the day that you eat, not knowing who around you is going to die. Not know like you are under this constant state of stress and paranoia and I was reading a few articles and essentially it was comparing life in the inner city to like PTSD that soldiers get. And it made all the sense in the world because it was like, yo, that is, you are not the same leaving that environment as you were when you got to it. It is not, you are not dealing with the same mentality. You're not dealing with the same people like your thought processes, the way you approach just about everything in life is different because of that. 
Um, and I know people are sitting here like, oh, you can't compare that to being soldiers. I'm like, eh, maybe. Like, listen, listen to the gunshots. Listen to everything going on around you. Listen and look at the people that you see, you know, in violent situations or involved with just about anything else. It is You are dealing with similar mentalities, right? You're talking to a guy who couldn't sit on the couches in his living room because people would drive by and shoot at my house. So you're talking from a very young age, understanding the way things work, or at least this being the norm in your mind, right? So the, a, a day in the life of Shane Taylor and a day in the life of so many people that I know doesn't seem real to people who are that far removed from it. And for those people, I would I I wouldn't even challenge you to spend a day like that because I don't want anybody to. Nobody wants to. But yeah, it's it it was a tough environment. So to be where I'm at now, to have the platform that I'm at now, to be as successful as I am now, um, is a blessing. For me, growing up, music was a huge part of my life. It was a huge influence on my life. Are there any certain artists or bands that uh, influenced you growing up? As a kid, and I should not have been listening to this, but, you know, thank, thank God for my dad that he, he gave it to me. Guys like the late, great DMX, you know, played a huge in influence for me growing up, especially when it came to athletics to get to that point mentally where I know where I, I needed to get to where I need to, to get to to perform because I've always needed that extra push you know what i mean uh guys like krs1 guys like rock him uh slick rick you know what i mean like bone thugs all these things Pac. um now that i'm a little bit older and i i understand what i'm listening to guys like most deaf talib quali there's so, so many people you know what i mean because for me and this is not going to be a you know Young, young rap versus older guy rap segment, you know, because e even guys like Jay-Z, you know, I, I made a post saying Jay-Z now is wasted on the young because you don't understand, you don't comprehend what he's talking about. But grown men who have to deal with grown men problems understand exactly what he's talking about. So um, for me, hip hop has always been about more than beats it's about more than just projecting a bullshit lifestyle it is about the platform you have and using what you say to deliver a message regardless of what you're saying a message is being delivered my choice and my understanding of it has always been listening to what that message is if you are sitting here telling me that the best thing that you can talk about is money hoes and drugs it's going to limit how much I listen to your product, right? You're going to, everybody can talk about that. Not everybody can talk about how they're building generational wealth for their kids, buying artwork, telling you how to buy land, telling you how to start a business, telling you how, you know what I mean? All these things, how, how to combat, you know, racism, how, how to cope, how to adjust letting you know that people are, are people are there and that they believe in you. These are all things that the greatest artists of all time have been able to do. I think that's where a lot of the disconnect comes in. But those are the people that I listened to growing up and, and, and still do. Shane, I read that you are quite an experienced boxer. At what age did you start boxing? 
I've been boxing since I can remember. Um, I, I've never competed uh, because if you compete, you have to register your hands. And I got into far too many fights in Cleveland to do that. Uh, and I didn't need to be another member of my family in jail. So I, I, I never tried to compete, but I've been training legitimately my entire life. I'm 35 right now. So 29 years, you know what I mean? Of, of practicing, training, doing everything that, that I have, have to do to make sure when the event arises that I can defend myself, defend my family and defend who's around me. I don't go around bragging about these things. I, I, I don't. There's far more tools in, in my bag than just that. But that's my business. And for those who decide that they want to test that, they'll quickly learn why that was a shitty idea. Was there any, any ever any thought that you could have a career as a professional boxer? My dad's and all my uncles were golden gloves. Like every, everything was lined up for me to take that route. Um, as well as playing football. You know what I mean? I could have done that, used to long snap and play just about every spot. So a career in the NFL was possible. Like there's a lot of things that I wanted to do or that I could have done. But again, with, with, with boxing and where I was, I was just in far too much bullshit to try to, you know what I mean? Like that, that, that was going to be a problem real fast. And growing up in, in Cleveland, a lot of times you can't run away from situations or you can't, find a way out the only way out is to get is to go directly through it and when you register your hands as you have to do for boxing and fighting or anything else that presents a lot of problems for you so yes i would have loved to 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 do that but now i get to live my dream you know wrestling what sports did you enjoy participating the most i liked all the sports that i participated in for different reasons um like with, with boxing, even if it's just sparring and training, just like wrestling, there is a gladiator feel to it, right? There is, there's no one here to help you. You can't rely on a team. You, you can't say the reason you got beat is because this guy didn't block for you or anything like that. It is just me and you. Your training versus my training. Your prep work versus my prep work. We both walked in here to paint a masterpiece on this canvas we'll see who did the better job you see what i'm saying so to me that's always been one of the biggest allures for it is just to go out there and impose your will on another human being like bro nah there's nothing you have for me that feeling is addictive that feeling of going you prepped six weeks eight weeks 12 weeks your entire life to fight me and i whooped your fucking ass <laughs> <laughs> Bro, there's there's nothing there's there's nothing that beats that. You know what I mean? And, and, and then you've got sports like football to where the camaraderie of the game is everything. You know what I mean? To, to go out there and and your boys know uh, or, or whoever's playing know that you have their back, that they have yours. And you go out there and you impose your will on a group of people. You know what I mean? Like it's an incredible feeling. Uh, most people play at least. For us, most people play, and by the time they're done, they can't remember, you know, the scores of games. They can't remember the championships, but they'll remember every joke. They'll remember every crazy story. They'll remember how they felt about playing with with their buddies, you know, in, in, in sports like football, basketball, baseball, things like that. High school is usually uh, a tough time, for I would say, for everybody. Um, right. 
And it was uh, in high school that I found football. And I wasn't the best player. I wasn't a star player. I didn't play many games. I maybe played one or two games at a cornerback. But it's really what taught me that never say die attitude, that never give in. It's really where I learned to take my first bump. Um, But uh, describe what your high school experience was like. Uh, I I feel like it was pretty average. I, I was someone because of how I was raised, was able to get along with just about everybody. I was obviously playing sports, so I'm in there with the jock crowd. But, you know, I'm cool with all the nerds and the AB guys. You know what I mean? We're, we we chop it up. was cool with, you know, all the kids in drama, all the outcast kids. Like, because I understand what it's like to feel like, you know what I'm saying? Like, nobody understands the shit that you're going through. So I was able to kind of bounce back and forth and be cool with just about everybody. Um, and everybody knew that at least around me, if you were trying to pick on the weakest person of of, of the group, we we were going to have a fucking problem. You know what I mean? So I would make sure that those around me understood that that shit wasn't going to happen when I was around. And that meant if that meant fighting other people on my team, that's what it meant. Like, if that's if that's the case, that's what it is, you know. But, you know, I had my fair share of, uh, of problems, too. You know, what I mean, from having from not understanding why the same parents that cheered me when I played football or, or when I wrestled or track and field or any of the sort. Right. Why those same parents who cheered for me then would threaten their daughters with shotguns if I showed up at their door understanding what that was and understanding everything involved in that to having people who I thought were teammates, you know what I mean? Draw Confederate flags on my locker, you know what I mean? For football, all, all these things play a part in shaping you and shaping how you see the world and shaping how you deal with people. You know what I mean? So take, taking all those things into account, uh, taking the childhood into account, you know, it, it, it molds you, and pushes me to do the things that I do now and why I have the mentality that, that, that I do about a lot of things. And we learn and grow as, as people, right? Like I wouldn't expect people to not have grown some in their life as they get older, right? Ali said it best. If you see the world the same way at 20 that you do at 50, then you've wasted 30 years. You know what I mean? That's that. That's simply. So I, I try not to fault people for things that they've done in the past when they were at a point where that maturity, that that reasoning, that logic is not there, right? Because we all we've all done stupid shit. We've all said stupid oh, shit. shit. We've all engaged in dumb activities at some point. If if, if we're blaming everybody for that or trying to take everybody's career away for that. No one's working. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's that's just simply how it is. Now some things are more egregious than others, but we we just try to learn and grow and be better people as we get older. Amen. Because you know, and I, I really got to get this off my chest because of bullying. Because I've been bullied since I was a kid. I was I, I would be bullied by my own teachers all because I was I was learning disabled and I still am. They would bully me knowing I could not do anything about it, and it continued. I was on the wrestling team in high school. And I was on the team to stay out of trouble, and I was not in the best shape. And these, my own teammates would bully me. And even today, if I were to confront them, you know, of course, they would just say, you couldn't take a joke or, you know, we were only kidding. But, you know, bullying is just such an 
a hard thing. I mean, not long ago after the shooting in Boulder, Colorado, I got a death threat because, you know, I, I'm a Muslim. I have an Arabic background and I got a death threat which said, I hope you're proud of your people and you effing terrorist. And, you know, and I'm going to be honest, Shane, it made me tear up because it's just sad that I still have to deal with this crap. I mean, you know, and when is this going to stop? I mean, you know, enough is enough. And, you know, bullying, racism, it, it really does make me emotional. So, I mean, that's it's, it's tough to get through all this. Yeah. And I, I feel like that's that's where we find ourselves now. And, you know, people ask me that question all the time. When does it stop? And the answer is when it when it starts happening to the people that the majority of this country care about. That's when it stops. That's when rules change, when the people who are affected. And this is not saying because I, I know people are already be like, well, you know, this percentage and this and, and these people. Yeah, I, I get all that. What we're talking about is seeing it every single fucking day happening over and over and over with little to zero accountability every single fucking day. When that starts happening, and I don't want that to happen, but when that starts happening, that's when people will go, oh, holy shit, we have a problem. These situations aren't going to affect anybody unless it direct, you know, it's, they're not going to care unless it directly affects them. Exactly. You know, and that's a sad, and that's a sad part of this country. I'm not going to say this world because the whole world isn't like that. It's this country. And um, I see your Twitter posts, um, dude, I'm 100% behind you on everything. And I, I'm glad that we can see eye to eye. Real quick, because you mentioned that, I just saw, I just tweeted out, there's this number one police trainer in the country. And listening to what he said, I've never been more disgusted. I was like, this is the fucking problem. Like, he's out here preaching this, like, warrior cop, you should feel good about killing your target. And I'm like, whoa, no. You're not a fucking soldier. You're not. We have soldiers for this. And this is no disrespect to anybody in either profession, but you are, you're not a fucking soldier. You're a civil servant. That's what you are. This is not going out there, going to war with the fucking society that you're supposed to protect. That's not what this is. If that's what you think this is, you're the wrong person for this fucking occupation. You need to leave because that's not what this job is about. That's that. That's hearing what he said was like anybody that's ever used the bad apple excuse was, was like, this is why it's not a bad apple thing. This is why it's a whole fucking orchard thing. And if he's the number one trainer in the country, then there is no reforming this. It all needs to be broken down and started from fucking scratch because that shit was wild. A hundred percent agreed, bro. Now you made it out of high school and you went to college. What at college did you attend? I went to Slippery Rock University uh, in Western PA, a uh, little just about an hour or so, maybe 45 minutes to an hour or so from Pittsburgh. Oh, no doubt. I'm out in uh, Toby Hanna, PA right now. I just moved out here uh, October. Now, uh, you played football there. Oh, what position did you play? Play everything, man. Center, fullback, guard, tackle, nose tackle, did just about everything, long snap. Did you have any goals of possibly playing in the National Football League? Yeah, I mean, like that's I I had a lot of coaches that told that that told me I had the talent to to do it. We would uh we would work out and do like combine drills just to see, and the numbers that I put up there were you know comparable. But again, it, it, it was once I I liked football, but I didn't love football. 
just just like with wrestling. You know what I mean? Like I liked am- amateur wrestling, but I didn't love it. But professional wrestling was something that I loved. And once I left college, I was like, okay, I, I have choices to make. E- either I, I can try to train for the Olympics. Uh, I can try to get a real job and work a nine to five, but that's never been me. Um, or I, I can chase you. this crazy you. ass dream of pro wrestling, you know, and 14 years later, here we are having this interview right now. You know what I'm saying? At what age did you become a fan of professional wrestling? At what age? It's hard to pinpoint an age. I can't remember what age I, I was. I always just remember it being on though. And I, I, I remember it being a part of the stuff that, that we did. I, I remember one, one of the defining moments for me, though. Um, my dad took me to Richfield Coliseum in Richfield, Ohio. All the WWF at the time uh, shows would come through there when they came through Ohio. And I, I, I got to sit down and like sit on the ring and meet just about every name that there is to have met. Uh, and what happens is they would go to a gym called Shorts Gym that was nearby. And my dad is real good friends with the owner. So they would all go work out. So my dad would be in there lifting with, you know, the road warriors and all these fucking guys putting up, even as as a grown man now understanding it, putting up ungodly amounts of weight. Just no reason at all for any human being to be that fucking strong unless your job is to move fucking tractors by hand or some shit. I don't know. It's fucking wild. But I I remember going there and, and one day it was... Texas Tornado, Kerry Von Erich versus the Warlord. Now, on paper, not a match that anybody's going to be like, oh, you had to see. That's not a draw. Right. (laughs) No, no, I mean, it was filled. I I don't know who else was on the fucking card, though. So in my mind, they they sold the bitch out. So for you, that was the draw. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, This is not a match on on paper where where anybody's going to be like, yo, this was a classic wrestling masterpiece. Like, no. You know what I mean? But... I remember at the end of it, it went to a double count out and the place absolutely went bonkers. You had people throwing hot dogs, popcorn, drinks. It was a fucking madhouse. And I looked up at my dad. He looked down at me. Number one, to probably see if I was about to throw some shit. Number two, he was looking at me and I looked at him and I was like, dad, do they know these people? He was like, nah. And from that, from that point on, I, I was like, yo, whatever it is that they're doing that made a whole bunch of people waste money on shit that they paid for, <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. I want to piss people off that bad. Like, let me, whatever this is, I want to be a part of it. I'm all in. It seems that the element of surprise is very essential to wrestling. Mm. Who was your favorite wrestler as a kid? It depended on the match. Uh, depending on the opponent, too. Like... Uh, for for a long time, it was the Undertaker. For a while, it was Stan Hansen. Then it was Vader. Um, but 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 I think there was when Ron Simmons beat Vader for the world title. I, I think he solidified himself as my favorite wrestler. Uh, to because up until he done it, no one had done that. And secondly, everybody was sort of this caricature of what black culture is, right? Uh, or you know they they are stereotypes of what people think black culture is there was always some gimmick involved right and he was one of the first ones that i that i'd seen that was just like no i am a hard-working athlete who is here to try to be the very best and to see him do that and achieve 
the top guy status uh, because there is a difference between people being a champion and being the champion in a company. Um, so t- to see him be the guy um, and achieve that and watch everybody in the building lose their mind of every background, of every gender, of every everything, everybody was on board with him win- winning that championship. And for me, I thought to myself, okay, this is possible. I saw him achieve greatness, so greatness is doable within myself. You know what I mean? So he is one of the biggest inspirations for me um, in, in in trying to climb the ladder and be the guy in any company that I work for. Now, have you ever had the uh, chance to sit down and, and talk around him as I have? And yeah, you know, he's a hell of a dude. And what was that like for you, man? Like to sit there, and like you said, that was the guy that solidified you. Like, that's my guy. That's the guy I'm going with. And the history he made that night, it seems like we're, we're going to be talking about history this whole day. Uh, but right. w- what was your first experience with Ron Simmons like? It was actually super dope because I was working for a company called Wildcat Sports in Louisiana run by Luke, Luke Hawks. Hawks. Yeah. And I was actually the first African-American champion for his company. And so what happened was I lost the belt to Hall of Famer Stevie Ray. Uh, he hit me in the head with a slapjack. Don't let him tell you any fucking thing otherwise, because <laughs> he's a cheater. You know what I mean? <laughs> but this was the match that I I, I had worked and, and, and clawed to get back in the ring with Stevie Ray to get my title back. And Ron Simmons was the special enforcer for the match. So I win the match, win my title back. And the man that I grew up idolizing handed me my championship holy Um, shit what a moment even saying it now you know i mean got goosebumps and then to sit back and then talk to him one-on-one um and to express to him my appreciation for what he did and for him to tell me that i'm doing things the way that they should be done that i'm doing it without being a stereotype without selling my soul without giving in to all of the bullshit that can happen to any of the uh, pressures to any of the um, slings and arrows that may come my way uh, that I was doing it the way uh, that I should be doing. It meant the, meant the world to me, bro. That, that, that I could just imagine how you felt in that moment, man. <laughs> Cause even me just, just chilling with him backstage. And like, I was just like, Oh man, I want to work out so bad. I don't keep your composure. Keep your composure. <laughs> Jack, jacked up was not even doesn't even describe it. When did you decide that you were going to pursue a career in pro wrestling? Because you had said that you know as a kid we we probably all said, "Hey, I want to do this." But when was the moment you decided, like, "No, I'm I'm going to seriously pursue a career in pro wrestling"? Um, I I left college, uh, and I had I had just found out what indie wrestling was what independent wrestling was so we're talking i was about 2021 we're talking 2005 2006 something like that um and i'd run across uh this promotion in pittsburgh called the international wrestling cartel uh and they had had you know all Every name that you can imagine has gone through those doors from AJ Styles to Sam Punk to Samoa Joe, on and on and on and on and on. Um, 
And I run across a group from Cleveland by the name of the Cleveland Mafia. And it was a team with Ray Rowe and a guy by the name of Jay Rock, a.k.a. Jerry Myers. Uh, I, I had wrestled Ray in high school, like our, our schools competed, and I had wrestled him in high school. So I knew who he was and saw that he was doing this. And I was like, yo, how, how did this happen, right? So um, was able to get in, get in touch with, with, with them talk about what what I wanted to do, talk about how they started. Um, they agreed to train me, and the rest is history. Now, for those that don't know, Ray Rowe is currently one half of the Viking Raiders in WWE. Yes, he's Eric. Describe what your experience training was as a pro wrestler, because I'm sure, like, I'm sure my style of training that I, I was trained by uh, Joel Maximo, the SATs. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure my style of training was way different than, than your style. So just give us, uh, describe for those who may think about getting into it. What, what was it like training for you? Um, damn. I feel like everybody, everybody's situation is different. So I, I, I can say what it was like for me, but I don't know if that'll necessarily apply for everybody else. And for me, it was tough, but it was easy because like coming from an amateur wrestling background, it, it's very similar to when you're talking about chain wrestling or the things that you put your body through to get ready for that. So there really wasn't like minus the adjustments to the bumping and hitting the ropes. There really isn't any difference. You know what I mean? As far as the commitment that you have to make sure you're where you need to be physically, right? So once you get past the soreness of the bumps and once your body gets used to the ropes, to me, training was easy. It was things that I'd already been doing every single day. Um, so for you, it was just routine. A- 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 exactly. Um, and, 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 they, and they pushed me, right? Because they, they know me and they understand that when they piss me off and when they push me, that's when they're going to get the best out of me. So there, there, there are always going to be days that are tougher than others. But for the most part, um, when I look back on it and I remember it, it was easy. It, it was doing what I had already been doing and just ramping things up when they felt that I needed to get kicked in the ass a little bit. Shane, when did you have your first match? I'm going to say August of 2007. Uh, August of 2007, I think my very first match was I did like a run-in on J-Rock's match. And then that kind of started off this program with me and him in a company called New Era Pro Wrestling in Painesville, uh, in Painesville, Ohio. Uh, And then we were off to the races. Did you uh, debut as Shane Taylor? No, I've I've had other names, but um, for me... Uh, doing things the proper way is when I start is when I is when I start, you know, categorizing uh, what I was doing. Uh, so from that point on, yeah, I was Shane Taylor from that point on. And when you made your debut, what was your gimmick at the time? I don't necessarily think that, that there was one. It was just me. You know what I mean? Uh, and as things have evolved, as I've grown, as I've evolved as a person, as a father, as a human being, as a performer, um, I've made sure to evolve it with me. You know what I mean? To evolve what the character is. But really, and, and the funny thing about it is, too, um, most people say that the best characters in, 
in wrestling is your real life personality turned up, right? I disagree. Um, because for me to do what I need to do as Shane Taylor, I have to turn myself down because the way I think, the way I feel about certain situations, the way I feel about societal things, I have to manage what I say. I have to manage what I do. I have to manage the way I go about it because if I went full tilt the way that I wanted to, there'd be even more people pissed off and upset with me. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like JC and like Jay-Z said, I can't help the poor if I'm one of them. You know what I mean? So um, what I do with Shane Taylor is I understand these things. I understand the backlash that may come my way. I take the backlash that comes um, because I know what I'm saying. I'm educated in what I'm saying. And I've taken the time to put my points to, together to get to a place where I feel comfortable going back and forth with just about anybody about the subjects that I talk about. What I try to do is combine different aspects of my personality and bring them to the forefront, but all of them are me. So you take the, you know, the ability to be a showman and to talk you into a building and to hype up, up, up a fight like a Floyd Mayweather. You take the intensity and physicality, the, the tenacity of a guy in, in a ring like Mike Tyson. And then you take the leadership ability, the social responsibility, and the sense of community uh, that you have in a guy like Muhammad Ali. You take all three of those individuals, you combine them into one dude from the east side of Cleveland, Ohio, and you get me. I'd really like to know... What are some of the most notable memories of your early days in professional wrestling? A lot of them have to do with training. Any of the rest I can't talk about just because I don't want to get anybody in trouble. <laughs> so I understand. Them, right. A lot of them, you know, uh, it's just wild times. It's just hanging with the crew. You know what I mean? Just. Shit that happens on the road. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. You know what I mean? It's just, just wild shit. You know what I mean? But. Um, not nothing crazy, you know what I mean? Or, or illegal most of the time, you know what I mean? Just, uh, enjoying these moments. Like I talked about earlier, because at the end of it, when all of our careers are done, it's the moments that we're going to have, right? It's the memories. It's, you know, nobody's going to remember, you know, well, well on this day, this championship and cool, but you're going to remember that car ride. You know what I mean? You're going to remember all the crazy stories, all the wild nights. That's going to be, you know, all, all the people you made impressions on is what you're going to remember. Now, if you could go back and give the debuting Shane Taylor advice during the early days, right? what would it be? Think of wrestling like sales. You are going to hear no 100 times or 99 times before you get that first yes. Uh, and not to take things so personally, because I know there's a lot of people who are mad at me early because I still had a competitive sports background me mentality when it came to the sport of pro wrestling. Right. So in my mind, if I trained harder than you, my matches were better than yours. The crowd re responded more than me. I'm selling more shirts than you. I'm doing everything better than you than, you know, that, that I should be doing that I should have that spot. That's not how fucking wrestling works. <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, 
I grew very combative early uh, and not in a crazy way, but just like trying to understand and figure out how this machine was working. Um, and it's, it's confusing and upsetting when you want to be good at something and you're not allowed to be, you know, or you're not allowed to be as good as you feel you could be because you know, you're putting in in the work, but understanding that and understanding how this game works now, I wish I could have imparted that wisdom on myself earlier. We'd be even further along in the stuff that I'm doing. It's great that yeah, you bring that up because when I first uh, started training and started working these little student shows for uh, Joel, he would always, you know, I, I, I just wanted to be a heel. I knew I wanted to be a bad guy. I wanted to heal. I knew I could make people hate me. Right. But then I was, I'm training five days a week straight from work, you know, doing an eight hour work day, then going straight to training for four hours and doing it all over again for five, for four to five days a week. And then when we would do our student shows, like I was always kind of on that losing end, on the losing end. Why am I always losing? Am I doing something wrong? Am I saying something wrong in training? Am I rubbing someone the wrong way? What am I doing wrong? So finally, you know, I talked to Joel and I said, hey, man, am I doing something wrong? And he goes, no, you're doing everything I asked you to do. And I'm like, then why am I always losing? And when he explained, you know, how the business works and that the reason why I'm losing is because he told me, because I'm able to make people look good, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and when he really started breaking down how this business works, I was really like, you know what? I don't care about losing. You know, like to me, it was it was like, I always knew it was scripted, but I'm like, why am I always losing? Because it tells a story. And once I started getting that through my head, it became such such a breeze to do these matches. You made your Ring of Honor debut in 2014, competing in a dark match at the Glory by Honor 13 event. How were you notified of the booking? Um, I think I had been going through and, and showing up, making my face seen for a bit. I was doing light work, doing anything that was asked of me. And I, I believe after a few times of doing that, was going with, with, with Ray Rowe to the show. They asked me if I had my gear. I said, of course, because you always bring it. They said, all right, we got something for you. Let's see what you got. Now, for me personally, I've never gotten the chance to, uh, uh, or the opportunity to work for a company like Ring of Honor or WWE, AEW, you know, these, uh, where we would say national companies, I would say. Describe the process of working at a company with television. No matter what the rules of the game are, the game is the same, right? So the matches are, are, are still the matches, the prep work is still the prep work. When it comes to TV stuff, uh, what you have to take into account is, of course, hard camera, the, the people who are watching at home, angles. You have to be very cognizant of time, of the camera crews around them, production. One of the best pieces of advice that I got as far as how to perform on TV, right, was from Adam Cole. And he was just telling me, like, hey, if you've got, say, 15 minutes of of your match, right, he's like, do about 10 to 11 worth of stuff and use the other four to tell the story properly, sell properly, do all these things that, you know, these small things that people talk about, that is your time to do so. And then learning how to master that formula you know, separates the people who are good from those who are great from those who then become legendary. You know what I mean? Is mastering that formula. 
In 2015, you would go on to form a tag team with current WWE superstar Keith Lee as Pretty Boy Killers. How did you meet Keith Lee? I met Keith in Texas when I moved down here end of 2013 um, for a company. It was then NWA Houston, then changed to Lone Star Championship Wrestling. But I met him down here, guys like Lance Hoyt, guys like Jack Stain. I, I can run down the list, but it'd be a whole bunch of names. But yeah, I, I, I met him when I moved down to Texas. And how did the idea came about for you guys to be a tag team? Both of us were doing just fine singles. At the time, the NWA was working with Pro Wrestling Noah in Japan, and they were looking for a team uh, to go over there and get the world tag titles back. I, it, it's always been a dream for me to go to Japan. I've never had the chance to, but I was talking to Keith, and I was like, hey, man, you know, both of us can do this individually and be just fine but there's nobody that looks like us that can do what we do from coming through the curtain to going back through it you know we are the guys that people look at and think oh well they can't be stars oh well they don't look like stars oh well they don't we we don't see them as main event guys and main level talent and we've seen throughout the course of both of our careers just how wrong those people were you know uh so that was really the point of everything was to change the way people looked at not only at, at at us but anybody that looks like us at the 2016 field of honor event pretty boy killers would get their first opportunity at the ring of honor world tag team championship in a gauntlet match but were unsuccessful pretty boy killers received another another shot at all-star extravaganza the eighth against all night express war machine currently the viking raiders in wwe Colt Cabana and Dalton Castle, but were again unsuccessful. I would say you definitely were a dominant tag team that seemed to be rising up the ranks, but why weren't Pretty Boy Killers the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Champions at the time? Well, I mean, you got to remember, too, historically, Ring of Honor has always had one of the, if not the best tag team division in the, in the world. So you're talking about two guys who, while are immensely talented, uh, are, are still learning how to compete together, learning how to uh, win against the best competition in the world, essentially on the fly, right? We were, le- we were a team for less than two years. You're talking about guys who have been teaming or who have known each other a long time, right? So things like that come into play when you're talking about competition. For us, I feel as though we were gaining traction very fast. We were learning how to compete at that level very fast and it was only a matter of time before we were in there with guys like the briscoes guys like the young bucks and for me uh had things gone the way they were i see no reason why we wouldn't have been competing with groups like that you know for multiple ring of honor world tag team title reigns you know for years to come in january 2017 you signed your first contract with ring of honor Explain what goes into signing a contract as a professional wrestler, because I know a lot of people who aren't in the business, a lot of fans just think it's you get that contract in the mail, you sign it and you're making millions of dollars. And we both know that's not the case. So explain what actually does go into signing a contract as a pro wrestler. Everybody's different. And my approach to these have have been different since I started to now. You know what I mean? as it should be, right? So 
Um, the the first contract I got, I it was actually e- e- emailed to me from Kevin Kelly, um, and I sat with it for a while and just looked at it. Uh, just wanted to take in the moment and realize, you know, just think about um, the journey I, I had made up until that point. Um, and then once I signed it, you know, you're, you, you get your guaranteed money. They take care of, you know, travel expenses and all of that stuff. Um, but now, you know, when I talk about my deals, there are more things uh, that I think about, you know, we're talking about merchandising and we're talking about, you know, different things of that sort and, you know, intellectual properties and all kind of stuff that go into, um, owning your name brand and what you're trying to do with this company, you know, because uh, for for a lot of people, they're still under the impression that, you know, this is any any job you have, you are, you know, they, you are lucky that they gave you a job, which in some, in some aspects is true, but I prefer to look at any sort of deal or contract thing especially as we are identified as independent contractors, as this is a business to business transaction. That's what this is. So I want your platform. You want my services. And we are both trying to make the most, the most money possible for each other. That's the goal, right? So when it comes to stuff like that, I take a different approach to the contracts because I don't look at at, at this as, Hey, I'm going to take whatever because you're doing me this favor. No, there's value in me. There's value in me making money on this platform. So let's figure out a good way that we can mutually benefit from this partnership. That is a great way to explain it because, like I said, a lot of fans don't realize that it's not just some dream opportunity that just gets in front of you. It, it takes time. You have to think, well, is this worth it? Am I going to make, like you said, am I going to make money off of merchandise? Is this going to help me in the long run or is just them piggybacking off of me? So there's a lot that goes into uh, dealing with contracts. I'm glad you explained that. On February 3rd, 2017, Pretty Boy Killers took on the Briscoe Brothers, who, in my opinion, are one of the best tag teams in the world. The match ended in a no contest and would be Keith Lee's last appearance for Ring of Honor before heading to WWE. I was trained by the SAT who have had amazing matches with the Briscoes in Ring of Honor and all over the independents during the early 2000s. What was it like for you and Keith Lee being in the ring with Mark and Jay? Because like you said, they they were one of those top guys in Ring of Honor. Are. They are those top guys in Ring of Honor. <laughs> Let it, let's not confuse any of this. Uh, and if any, anybody is out there listening that doesn't know who the Briscoes are, fucking Google it. Find out. You owe it to yourself, um, and I and I can't speak for 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 Keith, but I'm I'm pretty safe in assuming that he was just as excited as I was. That he's a guy that thrives on competition, and, and the competition doesn't get any better than Mark and Jay. Uh, so to to go out there with two with two ROH legends, two pinnacles of the company, to go out there and compete. Uh, to get in the ring with them, th- throw hands to, you know, that that was exciting for us. Uh, they are guys that bring a certain level of intensity. And if you don't match that, 
you are in for a long fucking night. <laughs> so, uh, you had better not only bring your A game, but you had better bring your A plus game and pack a lunch because you are in there with two of the very best ever. And so for me, it's, it's, it, it's awesome to see the growth there from that point, our, our first time being in the ring with them to now standing across from Jay Briscoe at final battle last year with my hand raised and both of them looking across from me now five, six years later, you know, and, and, and earning that respect and them telling me Shane Taylor's the real deal because if they're saying it and they've seen them all, then to me that vindicates me and justifies everything that I've ever done to get to this point. On October 20th, 2017, you defeated Cheeseburger to receive a Ring of Honor World Television Championship opportunity. During the 2018, you were booked mostly on the losing end of the chase for the Ring of Honor World Television Championship, similar to how Chris Jericho was booked going into his reign as the first WWE Undisputed Champion. Do you feel it meant more to to the story being the underdog of sorts, or would you have preferred being dominant? I think everybody prefers to be dominant. You know what I mean? Like no one wants to be the underdog, but for me, I, I thrive in any sort of situation um, in which people are doubting me from either side of the fence. Right. So as the underdog, you're there for a reason because people think you're either not ready for it yet, or you haven't earned it, or you're facing these insurmountable odds. I like being the underdog in that situation because I get to tell people I did it. I proved you wrong. I showed you, right? So there's that. But then I like being dominant because there's nothing more in this society that people enjoy more than watching an underdog win or seeing somebody dominant lose, right? They, they enjoy the ride up and they love the fall down. They absolutely love it, right? And there's nothing more that I enjoy than being now in this position of people wanting to see me lose and going, fuck you, I ain't losing either. No, wrong. I beat you again. I beat you again. You know what I mean? So on the way up, I made you look stupid. While I'm standing here here at the top, I'm going to make you look stupid again. Um, So that's where I'm at. You know what I mean? It, It doesn't matter to me whether people are cheering for my downfall or want to see me win. You know, I'm going to do what I have to do regardless. They can place themselves on either side of that fence. Bro, being a heel is probably the most fun fucking time of my life in in wrestling because it's just like everyone's just like you said, they're waiting for you to get your damn ass kicked. And then when it doesn't happen and it doesn't happen and you just make the match so that finally when it does happen, man, the roar of that crowd, bro. It It happens. (laughs) <laughs> all right, all right. Well, well I've been there where it finally happens. <laughs> right, right. Like, like, and th- and this is what I. This is why I love guys like Floyd Mayweather so much, right? Because his whole career was based on that. Was going, look, you can. I'm going to talk as much shit as possible. You're going to be mad, and you're going to buy my fight. Now, there's a lot of people who buy Floyd fights because they generally think he's the best boxer of all time. He's great at his craft and they want to see him do that. Fantastic. And for those people, I'm sure he's like, let's go, let's ride. And then there is a large population of, of the people who are mad that this young, rich black dude is talking all this shit. And 
they line up person after person after person after person, all 50 fucking people in now. <laughs> you know what I mean? To shut this dude up. And it just don't happen. It just doesn't happen. Even the guy that they thought was going to do it for the last 15 years, the guy that they hyped up beyond belief, <laughs> the guy that made his name off of the fact that Floyd Mayweather was who he is, talking about Manny Pacquiao. He lined up, he got dusted, and everybody was mad as hell. Why? Not because the fight was anything other than what they expected. The fight was exactly what you expected. Floyd going out there, making making Manny think too much, not, not throw shots, hesitate, getting popped, and him getting out of there kind of scot-free. Right. With <laughs> another two hundred million dollars or whatever it was. Pretty much. Right? <laughs> but people were mad because they had believed so much that Pacquiao was going to be the guy to do it. And he failed. Right. That they wanted to see him fall. And he just never did. That is why he's been so successful is because you and, and, and I know people are going to be mad. But honestly, this is why Jake Paul is successful. This is why guys like Conor McGregor. If Conor McGregor slipped up because he lost, you see what I'm saying? If Conor McGregor was still talking all this shit and had never lost, bro, he'd be the biggest, the biggest star ever. And he's already a, a huge star, but that's why their fight was so compelling for so many because it was finally, finally, this real fighter was going to show this boxer what it was about. Eh, no, wrong. <laughs> you signed an exclusive contract to Ring of Honor in 2018. On May 9th, 2019, at the War of the Worlds event, your chase for the Ring of Honor World Television Championship was over when you defeated Jeff Cobb, Brody King, and Haruki Goto to win the Ring of Honor uh, Television Championship. This was your first championship in Ring of Honor. Um, now, I know what it's like to win your first championship. I won the Infinite Pro Wrestling Fury TV Championship shortly before the pandemic. And it was my first championship after about nine years of doing this. Uh, and I know many will say wrestling's predetermined. It's not real. It's scripted. Da, da, da. But that feeling of knowing that the, the booker trusts you and has that faith in you. I mean, those feelings, that emotion, that's real. Did you feel that same sense of accomplishment? Oh, 100%. And anybody that can sit there and say, well, this is not that and this is not, not that, I will have challenged has never won shit in their life. They, they don't compete. You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, regardless of the details that surround pro wrestling, we are competing. We are competing for spots. We are, we are competing for legacy. We are competing for money. We are competing for time, for attention. We are competing every single fucking day. So when you win those championships, when you get to become one of the faces of the company, that is a trust not only in them to say that, hey, we feel as though we're, we are our team is heading into a competition and we want you to be one of the captains of the team. That's what that means. Right. So there should be pride taken into that. There should be uh, every emotion should come through you when it comes to to that. And I knew it was special, not only just for me, but I knew what I had done um, because only two other African-American men have, have ever won that title. And that's Kenny King and Jay Lethal. Right. So I knew what the what was expected of me and what it meant to people when I looked up and you can't see it on camera, but towards the back of the building, uh, towards hard cam side, 
there was a group of about 20 to 30 people. A couple black families were there and they were absolutely losing their mind in the back. A lot of the people around the ring or in the, or in, in the crowd, some were happy, some were pissed, some were just in shock, like what the hell just happened? But those people in the back, everybody was standing on chairs, screaming, going absolutely nuts. They're hugging each other. They're high-fiving each other. Some people are crying. And to me, that just let me know just how important this moment was, not only for me, but to them. And what people have to understand is when it comes to winning these championships, a lot of people aren't worried about what it means for them. They're worried about what them being successful can inspire in other people, what they can do to help motivate the generations after them to motivate those little girls and boys or whoever sitting in those crowds watching them that is what this is about uh so you really can't blame people for wanting to be in that position well said shane absolutely well said and i like how you say you know you got to compete for everything and and what, how people disrespect this business and you say like they've never competed for anything in their life you know see i, I love that it, it, it just shows you know how much the business is so important to you. In September of 2019, you posted a tweet voicing your frustrations with the Ring of Honor and they ended your contract with the promotion. And this blurred the lines of reality that led to the formation of Shane Taylor Promotions. Uh, how much of this angle re- reflected uh, in real life? Uh, well, first, I, I bought out my deal, uh, not, not the other way around. And then the following uh, occurred. But a lot of that is... Everything that I said during that time comes from a real place of frustration. I saw how television champions were promoted in the past. I saw when you talk about guys like Kushida or Osprey or Bobby Fish or uh, Roderick Strong or Jay Lethal in the past or anybody that Matt Taven, anybody that's held that title was held in a certain regard. And then for all the work that I had put in, for everything that I had done, I had finally felt like I accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. What I wanted to accomplish. Here I am making history, and nothing. My matches aren't announced. I'm not. I'm not on the posters. I'm the second guy on the totem pole. You're not talking about me at all. People have to guess when my shit is. No, wrong. You know what I mean? And if and at the time. If you're promoting any and every other company that you're working with, any and every other company stars, why are you not talking about the guys who are going to bat and going to war for you every single day? That made no sense. That's not how I lead. That's not how the people around me lead. So it made no sense to not promote, not showcase one of the people that is riding for you as hard as they do. Uh, and, and so my point was, OK, whatever you won't do for me, I will do for myself. And that's the whole point. That is the whole point of Shane Taylor Promotions. It is taking those who also feel overlooked, taking those who also feel like, you know, they're the ones that people just don't want to give the credit to, just don't want the opportunities to come for. Fine. Don't give them to us. We will do them ourselves. We will create them ourselves. You don't want to hype us? Fine. We'll hype us. That's what we will do. And I've carried that into just about everything that I do. You know what I mean? From merchandise to 
videos, to everything that I do, whatever it is that you won't do for me, that you willfully do for other people, I will take care of myself. You know what I mean? And that's and that's simply how we approached it. Thank you for actually clarifying that. I'm, I'm glad I'm glad you you clarified like that you, you mm-hmm. bought out the contract. Okay. And later that month, you defended your belt at Death Before Dishonor 17 against Dragon Lee, Tracy Williams, and Flip Gordon. And mm-hmm. you would then go on tour in England as the Ring of Honor television champion, successfully defending your title. And I'd like you to describe your experience touring England. Oh, England is dope. Um, for anybody that's never been, like, I I am such a fan of the an- energy they bring uh, be- because it is it, it's a hostile environment, and that's what I thrive in. So they they provide me with that, and everything really feels like a big party when you're there. Um, what like they they they'll just make up songs and make up chants and do, and it's not like like they'll be singing to you in unison while you're there right so i remember the very first uh, i want to say it was the very first match was me and joe hendry at york hall and i come out and it is legitimately when i when i talk about a home field advantage the only the only people that wanted me to win that match were me and the guys who came out to the ring with me that's it Everybody else was firmly behind Joe Hendry. It wasn't even close. And before we even touched, the whole crowd is chanting, fuck you, Taylor. They're, they want my head. And I find, and if you look at my eyes, there, 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 there wasn't like, oh, man, what's going on? It, it was, I was excited. I was like, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Look, everybody in the country can be against me right now. I'm about to piss you all off at, at the same time because I'm walking out of this bitch with that TV title. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing he can do. It, like, I love those moments. And so going through that match, it was one of my favorites because you can feel the energy of the crowd. They're talking shit to me. I'm talking shit to them. You know, I'm throwing Joe Hendry through the guardrail. He's throwing me through guardrails. Like, it is... it. It was such a wild time and such a wild, uh, wild I- I- environment that it just made that moment so special. And then seeing the collective, the collective uh, disappointment. Go play, guys. Uh, the collective disappointment on hundreds of people's faces when they announced that I won and they heard that three count. Boy, you could have heard a pin drop in that place. Your reign as the Ring of Honor World TV Champion came to an end at the hands of Dragon Lee at Final Battle on December 13th, 2019. And a chain. And the chain. Okay, we're going to throw that out there. Ring of Honor would go on hiatus due to the ongoing pandemic. Now, we had spoke uh, about pro wrestling during the uh, pandemic on our second episode and how it still managed to thrive and stay alive throughout the pandemic. Mm-hmm. How did the pandemic affect you professionally and personally? Professionally and personally, I, I feel like it helped. I know that it, it's a weird thing to hear that, but there was a silver lining because I remember performing the entire UK tour. I hurt my shoulder in the match with, with Joe Hendry and uh, was just going. And I, I, I was just going to keep going until I couldn't. Um, 
But the pandemic allowed me time to rest, allowed me time to heal, allowed me time to refocus, allowed me time more time at home, allowed me to fix and correct a lot of the distractions that I had. Um, and, and so for me, that was the perfect time to sort of reassess what was going on, reassess what, 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 where I was, uh, and allowed me to so, sort of focus my energy on where I wanted to be once we came back. Um, and, I, and, I, and I think ever since we've come back, not only myself, but everybody in Shane Taylor promotions from Khan, Moses, Ron Hunt to O'Shea Edwards has been absolutely lighting shit up. Uh, and we are exactly where we need to be. I could see that. Like I said, I've been following you on Twitter for a minute now. O'Shea Edwards, I, I've been following him for a minute. And so I kind of see what you guys have been doing. Ring of Honor would resume operations and you return to defeat Jay Briscoe. You had mentioned this earlier at final battle. On the February 20th uh, broadcast of Ring of Honor Wrestling, Shane Taylor Promotions would defeat Mexi Squad, consisting of Bandito, Flamita, and Ray Horace, to win the Ring of Honor World Six-Man Tag Team Championship. Tell us, what is next for Shane Taylor and Shane Taylor Promotions? The world, Chico, and everything in it. You know what I mean? I've, I've made no bones about, you know, what we want, and we want to be the most successful people ever in in ring of honor history. You know what I mean? I, I feel as though with my dominant TV title run uh, with now this win and the run that we plan on going with these titles, I've set myself up to have one of the best careers ever in ROH. There's still a lot more that I want to accomplish in order to solidify that. But I, I feel as though I'm on my way and to see and to help Khan and Moses win their first gold, start to establish their legacy. I feel as though they're a team that people look at and, and go, okay, you're going to be the cornerstone of this tag division for a very long time. You've still got the Briscoes there. You, you've still got, you know, other teams there, uh, the OGK guys like that. But I think people understand that it's only a matter of time before Khan and Moses are running the tag division two, as well as the six man division with me. So, uh, and then you got O'Shea Edwards as well, who's an absolute monster, you know, can do everything that is required of him in the ring and out of it. Um, he, he walks the walk, talks the talk, does everything that there is to do. So uh, you're talking about a group of individuals who are not only talented, but know they're talented, can do everything that is needed to be done work well together, have the same goals, have the same mentality, and have each other's backs at the same time. It's very, very tough to beat. Shane, what are some of your favorite independent promotions to work for? I do some that are important to me, but like uh, VIP Wrestling, uh, VIP is one of those places that I love to, to perform and compete at. Uh, the environment is great. The crowd is great. The performers are top level. You've got places like Taxoma Pro. You've got places uh, like the International Wrestling Cartel still. I mean, there's 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 a lot, you know, there's a lot of play places that I would like to go just to test myself against the competition that they have there. So I'm excited, you know, for what the future holds, what could potentially happen. And it's going to be a great time for all involved. Awesome. And what are some of the notable names that you've wrestled against and what are your favorite memories? wrestled a lot of people now that I really sit down and try to think about it. Um, 
I feel as though if if I had to rank them, I, I guess and I, I I'm not going to rank rank them, but I but I will group them. Uh, there there are certain people um, who bring out a level of intensity in me that I like to work. I like to perform at that level. Um, and guys that bring that out of me are guys like uh, Ray Rowe, guys like the Briscoes, guys like Jay Lethal. Even though I dislike him right now at, at this moment, guys like Kenny King bring that level of intensity out of me. Even guys like like, like Jeff Cobb and Brody King, right? Like their physicality d- demands that you bring a level to match that, if not exceeded, if you want if you want to win. So guys like that are some of my favorite opponents because they push me to be better. We're gonna start wrapping up this show. But uh, one last question I want to ask you. If there's anybody listening out there that wants to become a professional wrestler, what advice would you give to them as far as getting into the business and, and how the mindset to have? Two, two things. You have to be willing to do the things that other people aren't willing to do. And I, I, I don't mean that in, in the sleazy cut people down at the knees way i mean like if if this is what you want to do are you willing to get to be up at 4 a.m training are you willing to take those rides are you willing to do those things that other people aren't doing in order to get that success that's what you have to do right those things and as well as getting trained properly you know you have to have an undying unwavering self-confidence and who you are, what you what you can do, what you bring to the table, and that'll learn and, and and that'll evolve and grow as you continue your career. But be willing to do the things that other people aren't willing to do, and have unwavering self confidence. Because, like I said, you're gonna hear no ninety nine times before you get that first yes. Where can the people find you on social media? How can they interact with you? As always, you know, Twitter and Instagram at Shane216Taylor. You can head to the uh, Pro Wrestling Tea store that I have slash Shane Taylor. Just opened up my What a Maneuver store as well. Uh, you can head to all of my social media sites. The links for that will be in all the bios. That's where you'll find me. I talk about anything, everything, not only just wrestling, but society in general, too. So, Come along for the ride. <laughs> you heard it straight from the mouth of Shane Taylor. Go follow him. This man is going to be doing big things in the future. I'm not even going to say the future. In the next coming months, I know he's going to be doing big things. Uh, I, I really want to express how much I appreciate you coming on to this show. I feel like I've definitely gotten to know you as a human being. It's one thing to know somebody as the wrestler, this person they see on YouTube, the person they see on TV, the person they talk to in the locker room. But when you actually break it down, you can sit here and have conversations about multiple different topics. You really, at the core, get to know people. And that's what I love about podcasting. That's what I loved about sitting here. I'm not even going to say interview because, honestly, this felt like I was just bullshitting with one of my friends, you know. So uh, I'm sure Alex uh, appreciates you coming on to Wrestling With A Bear. You are our first guest on this show. So (laughs) huge shout out for that. But yeah, man, fucking this was an amazing time. And uh I hope we could chop it up again. Take care, bro. It was an amazing time fucking talking to you, man. Yo, I, I can't thank you enough, Shane, because I'm going to l- let you know, Bill. this is the first time I've actually had to do a, an interview like this. 
and I hadn't done it since I was interning when I when I was covering the Big 12 media events, you know, and, and this is just an honor. So thank you very, very much, Shane. Thank you. Thank you. And it's all about the Big Ten where I'm from. So there's that. But, you know, it's all good. Well, I'm a sports writer. You know, I'm objective. And, you know, it, I just love I just love to watch. All good. Thank you, guys, man. Appreciate it.